From the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm your host and Prindle Institute director, Andy Cullison, and with me is our producer, Kate Berry. Hello. For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise, but as an ethicist, I can definitely help you figure out when it's okay to make fun of your coworkers' shirts. So Andy. Yes. This is Getting Ethics to Work. It is. It is our first episode. It is. Why did we call it Getting Ethics to Work? Well, uh, we wanted to do a podcast about ethics in the workplace. Right. Sort of our starting point. And getting ethics to work had this kind of cool double meaning. There was this idea of getting ethics to work, as in bringing it to work with you, bringing the skills of reasoning through moral dilemmas uh, to work with you. So getting ethics to work in that sense, but also the sense of like getting it to work for you, right? Getting it to help you make your work life better, getting it to help you identify those tricky, thorny moral dilemmas that you might otherwise miss. And also helping you learn how to better talk about those difficult ethical issues when they arise, and then ultimately figure out what you ought to do. Awesome. I can't wait. I'm excited. Okay, so that's all great. What are we actually doing here? Yeah, so what does what a podcast like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually do? Um, well, I think uh, one of the things we want to do is help people start to think about ethics as more than something just like compliance. Hmm. I think people often, when they hear about ethics in the workplace, think about learning what the rules are right. and all that kind of stuff. And and that's not what ethics is about as we conceive of it. Um, it's more about developing a set of skills that I call moral reasoning skills. Okay. And one of the big ones is being able to identify ethical issues. That's like that's the most basic moral reasoning skill is just being able to see that something is a moral issue. And I thought one of the things that would be good is to kind of impress upon people the idea that, you know, these ethical issues are everywhere. They're hidden all over the place. Uh, any any decision you make is going to involve ethical assumptions. Almost any dispute or disagreement that you have with a coworker, you give that to me, and I bet you I will be able to find an underlying ethical issue, tension, or like disagreement about values. And so the first thing is helping people identify mm-hmm. those kind of hidden things where they might otherwise miss it. Okay. And after they've identified. And then, yeah, after they've identified it, uh, learning how to kind of reason through it, uh, learning how to have those difficult conversations, mm-hmm. just have some practical, okay, what do I do once I've identified that? How do I talk about it with my coworkers? Or how do I decide what to do? And so we thought the show would be a mix of uh, sort of working those ethics muscles to try and get practice at identifying these issues And then once you've identified these issues, you'll start to see patterns in these kinds of things. Hmm. And there'd be like a kind of practical set of things. Okay, now that I know it's this kind of issue, here's something I can do now that I know what the issue is. And so I thought a show that did something like that with real cases that you're likely to encounter in the workplace would be of value and over time would help develop those skills that someone might need to develop to be better at reasoning through moral dilemmas. Great. And hopefully have a better time at work. Yes. Hopefully a much better time at work. So one of the best ways to do this is to approach ethics by thinking through certain kinds of case studies, particularly real-world kinds of cases that you might encounter. And so, Kate, we talked about some cases, and you were going to bring a case for us to consider today, right? Yes. 
Okay, so t tell me about it. Okay. Well, for our first episode, I thought we would start with something like teasing in the workplace, something that happens all the time, sometimes feels okay, sometimes doesn't feel okay, can be a little tricky to figure out the line. So in our case, we've got Nancy. Okay. Nancy sits in a sort of a series of cubicles um, next to Bob. And one day she hears Bob on the phone say, yeah, I can see him. He's wearing that stupid Hawaiian shirt again. Okay. And she recognizes instantly who he's referring to. There's sort of a office loner weird guy who's most known for wearing Hawaiian shirts, kind of lonely, doesn't have a lot of friends. And she doesn't like hearing Bob tease this guy that way. Um, but then she thinks, oh, but I make fun of my friend's clothes and hairstyles all the time. So she's not sure if she's being a hypocrite in this case, that she's made fun of people's clothes, she's teased people, she's, and it's all fun, right? Okay. But she's not happy with Bob. She thinks that Bob has done something wrong here. Okay, I, I, oh, so this is an interesting case. So she sees Bob doing something, she thinks that's really messed up, but wait, I do it sometimes. I don't think it's messed up when I do it. Am I being a hypocrite? Oh, that, that's the kind of idea. Yes, and exactly. Then, and so now what do I do? Can I talk to, how dare I talk to Bob when I do this myself kind right. of stuff? So right. she doesn't really know what to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so what are your first thoughts? Well, I think an easy way to avoid this is to not tease people. That I think if she's really looking for an actionable sort of philosophy for how to not feel this hypocrisy is to not tease based on someone's appearance to just sort of be um positive voice in people's lives i don't know is that a little pollyanna-ish well not not necessarily but i mean it is a good kind of thing if you don't know where to draw the line in the workplace don't draw the line model the behavior that you would expect of everybody and then you put yourself in a position of moral authority to call it out right Right. So. i want to feel better than everybody else <laughs> and so i will just not tease anyone so yeah that is a position that nancy could take but i actually think this is loaded with a bunch of interesting things to think about and i think there are some things nancy can do to not feel as bad about what she's seeing and not feel as bad about herself for thinking there's something wrong about what Bob's doing, thinking there's something okay about what she's doing. And I think there are some things she could do. So let's get to work. Let's let's unpack this. All right. Okay. So um, I really do like thinking about when it's okay to tease people. Are you a like, teaser? I am a teaser. That's basically how I bond with people. Okay. Um, that's like, that's like, I mean, that's, I, I go on trips with uh, my, my brother-in-law and his two brothers and just a bunch of their guy friends. And it's basically three days of just making fun of each other. That's like all we do. Um, <laughs> but it's not, you have, you're smiling and you're laughing. It yeah, doesn't no, sound I like know. it's a horrible it's, experience. Yeah, it's, it, I find that most of my social groups, uh, the people I'm closest with, are also the people whom I have like more teasing kinds of interactions mm. with. Um, and I actually think that's important. And I actually think there's a really good explanation for why that is an important social good. I think that... Uh, one thing that teasing does is it's a way to kind of strengthen friendship bonds and constantly signal to your friends, hey, we're still cool. So I, I just as an example, Kate, if you and I are friends. I think we are. Then I could make fun of your shirt. <laughs> See the trap I set? <laughs> but let's say we are, right? Like you and I are friends. Yeah. Uh, and so I could tease you about your shirt. You could tease me about my stupid tie, all that kind of stuff. 
But one thing that does is we're sort of signaling to each other, hey, we're still cool Mm -hmm. because if we weren't cool, what I'm doing would be massively messed up. I mean, imagine just going around to strangers and just making fun of their shirt and you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what they've been through that day. Um, You just don't know a lot about them and you're not in that kind of comfortable situation to do that kind of bonding. So teasing is a way to kind of check up constantly on the status of the relationship. That's, that, it. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah, that if you're teasing and it goes over well, then the friendship is strong. And if it goes over badly, then someone's feeling like you're more a stranger to them than a friend. In fact, when friends and I have ever had fights, teasing tends to stop like during, like during the fighting process. Yeah. Right. You no longer make fun of each other during the fighting process. When you do, you usually pick the things that are most sensitive to them, mm-hmm. right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're now teasing to hurt, not teasing to reify. And one of the best ways to see that the relationship is back to normal is when it's okay to tease again. That's kind of like your marker, right? Yeah. Uh, going back to the same old jokes is a way of kind of saying, okay, we're cool again, right? Okay. So with friends, this is a way to sort of take the temperature of the friendship. Yeah, that's what I think. Cool. Um, so... One thing that I think Nancy's got going for her here is she sees Bob making fun of this guy and she recognizes, wait, this is not a friendship kind of thing. And when she's thinking, but I do this all the time. What's going on? Why is it okay for me, but not for Bob? I bet Nancy is thinking about all those times that she and her friends have made fun of each other about their shoes or their hair or their cars or whatever it is. And so, you know, she's probably onto something that there probably is something problematic about what Bob's doing, but maybe not so problematic about what she does in right. ordinary circumstances. Right. So there's a big difference there, big whether difference, you're friends or not friends. Yep. So checking up on your friendship status, that's one use of teasing. Is that the only one? Well, no, I actually think there's another really important kind of teasing that, that I think serves a kind of important social good or social function. And it's easy to kind of see what this is if we separate out cases where we think it's clearly okay mm-hmm. um, and cases where we think it's clearly not okay. And let's do this all outside of the context of friendships. Okay, okay. Um, because uh, that's what we're trying to zero in on. Are there other cases that when outside of friendships, is it most clear that it's okay? And I think um, I think it's kind of easy to sort cases. We tend to cringe when we see people mock someone for their weight, mm-hmm. like fat shaming or body shaming. Uh, race, gender, ethnicity, disability status, those right. kinds of things. We we tend to think there's something not okay when we see those kinds of teasings. Sure. But where we are most okay with teasing outside of friendships are cases where someone has kind of messed up in some mild way. Okay. And you think, yeah, he or she sort of deserved that. So uh, if someone makes a really silly mistake over and over and over again, right? They're always, Mm -hmm. you know, forgetting to do this thing or something like that. I can give you an example with me in this workplace (laughs) when my coworkers make fun of me. I have a tendency to come up with ideas and uh, I come up with them so often that it kind of scares the staff and they're like, no, we can't, we can't do this again. Uh, we, We don't have the bandwidth for another idea of yours another crazy harebrained kind of thing. Um, And now it's kind of like a popular joke in the office is if I ever even utter the phrase, 
I have an idea. Like people tease me, they run from me. They, you know, <laughs> um, they're like, they roll their eyes like, Oh God. Right. Like all that kind of stuff. But the idea is, you know, um, I do think a leader in an organization needs to be careful when they just utter phrases like I have an idea because it, it does a lot of things to your coworkers. Um, particularly if you're ambitious and likely to go forward with it mm-hmm. uh, without consultation, right? Um, the phrase, I have an idea, you know, carries an enormous amount of weight with it. And so I think it's totally okay when my staff kind of tease me about having too many ideas. Right. It's a way to signal gently to you, only tell us the ones you're really serious about. Because if you try to have us do every idea that pops into your head, we are going to be working like 36 hours a day. Exactly. And only tell us the ones that you're seriously going to follow through with. Only tell us ones that you seriously think we have the resources for, right? Like those kinds of things. And, you know, you might want to go down a bunch of rabbit holes, Andy, but we don't want to go down those rabbit holes with you. So let's, let's rein it in a little bit. Yeah. Sort of. There's some other ones in the workplace I can think of. Things like someone who's chronically late. Yeah. Um, Someone who maybe is taking too much advantage of cookies that are supposed to be for everyone in the break room that you might say like, hey, are there enough cookies for the rest of us? Or mm-hmm. something like, you must really like those cookies. Right, exactly. There's all sorts of things like this where you might think, hey, it's okay to point out something's not normal about this. And it's okay for me to point out that it's not normal. And it's okay for me to gently signal to you like, hey, maybe don't do that, right? Right, you're trying to discourage this behavior and encourage maybe being more thoughtful or... Yeah, yeah on time or um, to think very deeply about which ideas you want everyone to jump on board. And it doesn't just have to be uh, toward another person to try and change their behavior. One thing we often do is collectively tease like a third party person Mm. as a way to signal to each other kinds of behavior that we think is not appropriate. Um, In fact, I think this is the entire point of shows like The Office, (laughs) right? The, The Office basically has a bunch of people doing a bunch of things that you wouldn't want them to actually be doing in the workplace. Right. We all have a laugh at it because, ha ha, that's funny and weird. But it is kind of a way to kind of like sort of point out to people like, yeah, what he's doing there, not cool, right? Right. So is this what Bob is doing with the Hawaiian shirt? Well, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking another reason that Nancy might feel this kind of, well, Bob's doing something not okay, but it's okay for me. Nancy... She might be thinking about times where she has uh, made fun of friends, but she also might be thinking of times where she's engaged in this kind of rebuke, right? Mm-hmm. So she's mocked people who aren't friends, but she did it in context where it was like she was permissibly pointing out something that maybe it's something that should give us pause and something we should think about, was calling attention to it. Mm-hmm. And Bob making fun of some poor guy's Hawaiian shirt who's not his friend, I mean, you know, Does that really fall under the category of things people shouldn't do, right? Um, And you might think, no, it doesn't. It doesn't fall under that. If if making wearing Hawaiian shirts makes this guy happy, and it's you know, um, let him do it, and don't don't be the sort of person who uses this tool that we often use to to point out to people, hey, I think you need to change. Mm -hmm. Don't use it because that's what part of the purpose of this teasing is for is to point out to people that, hey, this this should probably change. I think that's really good to keep in mind. When I am making those sort of snappy remarks, I'm signaling to the other person, don't engage in this behavior. And Absolutely. I better mean it. Yeah. And it better be okay for you to point it out. 
right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this sort of points to uh, a kind of view that there's an important social function to teasing, Mm -hmm. which has to do with strengthening friendships or pointing out things that we think it's okay for people to say, hey, we should pause and think about this and think about whether or not this is okay and and maybe, um, you know, change your behavior. And so the the simple view is that, you know, outside of those, I do think we should second guess ourselves if we're engaging in teasing. If it's not serving one of those two goods, Mm -hmm. uh, it is worth pausing and considering like, hey, is this really an okay act of teasing? So instead of something like lateness or too many ideas, if you make jokes about someone's weight or race or gender or their disability status, you might be unintentionally sending the signal that that's not welcome in your workplace. I I think you are sending that message because it is a deeply embedded part of our thinking that that's what we do when we tease. When we tease outside of friendship contexts, we really are signaling, hey, this is something that's not okay. You should change it. Right. So looking at these views, these different social goods, what should Nancy do with these? How should she feel? What should she be thinking? So how should Nancy feel? Well, she shouldn't feel so bad because, yeah, she sees that Bob is doing something that she doesn't think is right. She feels like she does that all the time. Well, uh, this view kind of explains Mm -hmm. what's going on there, right? Bob is mocking someone outside of the context of a friendship. He's mocking someone for a a kind of trait or a characteristic that doesn't seem like it would be Bob's place to demand a change on. Nancy shouldn't feel so bad. So Nancy seemed to pick up on this being not right pretty easily. Why are we talking about this as a hidden dilemma? Well, because I think this is a hidden dilemma for Bob. Huh. Uh, so I, I think it's good to think about teasing in the workplace, uh, because I think a lot of us are actually at risk of being someone like Bob. And so when we talk about, you know, you could be in a moral dilemma or you could be in a situation where you're misstepping and not realize it, work is weird in that, well, it's weird in a lot of ways, (laughs) (laughs) but we won't go there. Work is weird in that outside of work, we are often surrounded by people and social groups where teasing is probably going to be more okay than not okay. Right. You're with your family, you're with your friends. Work is that weird situation where you don't get to choose your relationships. You don't get to choose who you're sitting next to all the time. And so you're constantly surrounded by people in in varying degrees of closeness in terms of the friendship. Right. Someone like Bob could think that Teasing is so normal, so a part of my daily routine that Bob doesn't even realize that there might be lines that could be crossed when you walk into the workplace. Nancy actually seems to be ahead of the game because she, her little moral compass at least pinged on it, even if she couldn't exactly explain why. Bob seems totally clueless. That's right. So Bob is like really missing it. Nancy is already kind of ahead of Bob and saying, oh, wait, there is a kind of important difference here. But the other thing that I think is interesting and hidden about this case, uh, it might not be hidden to Nancy that, like, okay, something's going on here. Uh, I can't quite figure out what it is. Um, The hidden thing is, what do I do in this situation? Right. Um, And she might not even realize that there is something she can do because she hasn't thought about where to draw the line on the ethics of teasing. But if Nancy had thought 
or given some thought to the ethics of teasing, suddenly she's got things that she can actually do in this situation uh, if she felt like it was something she should address. So do you think Nancy should say something to Bob? I think that would be an option. So now that Nancy, suppose, suppose Nancy were in here and talking to us and we were hashing out the ethics of teasing, if Nancy had thought about some of that stuff, then now Nancy can say, hey, you know, Bob, I, I overheard you making fun of, oh, this poor guy doesn't even have a name. That's how much of a loner he is. We didn't even name him, no, did we? Just Hawaiian shirt guy. Oh, man. That's really sad. Well, that's how little everyone knows about him. <laughs> he has that few friends. He doesn't even have a name in our made-up story. Okay, uh, let's give him a name. He's got to have a name. Mark. Mark. All right. So Nancy uh, could say, hey, Bob, you know, I heard you making fun of Mark's shirt. You guys aren't really friends. You know, a lot of times when I'm teasing people, like it's clear to me that it's okay when I'm friends or when I, you know, I think someone really needs to change something about themselves. Uh, but, you know, this this didn't seem like either of those. He's not like a close friend of yours. You're not making fun of him for something that like you think would warrant change. And so I was just wondering, are you sure you think that's okay? Something along those lines. But yeah. the idea is now Nancy can move from having this gut feeling that something just ain't right. Right to actually having some vocabulary, uh, a principled view that she can sort of casually drop in and say, hey, I'm just confused. That's another uh, thing that I hope people can take away from this show is, you know, you might have a compass that you think is working and like something doesn't seem right, but, you know, getting some of the vocabulary to actually, you know, give shape to that visceral gut reaction you have that something isn't right. Right. That's something that I hope people can take away from the show. And that's why I liked this case for those reasons. There's two kind of hidden things going on. One for Bob and one for Nancy. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Berry. If you have a question about business ethics that you'd like answered on the podcast, email me at katherineberry at depod.edu and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air. We hope you can take some of what we've discussed here and get it to work. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstitute.org backslash getethicstowork. That's all one word, get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePaul alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.